What's going on? And welcome into the Monday edition of the Pelicans podcast presented by SeatGeek. I'm Daniel Salerson, joined now by our co-host Jim Eichenhofer as we get you set again for another week of draft previews with November 18th coming around the corner, just basically 10 days away from it. And uh, today we focus in on the Detroit Pistons at pick number seven. And to help us with that, we welcome in James Edwards III, who is the Detroit Pistons beat writer for The Athletic. James, I really appreciate the time. Hard to believe that we're now a week and a half away from the NBA draft, plus a potential schedule right around the corner as well. Yeah, it snuck up fast. I mean, for the last six months, at least here in Detroit, I've, we've had very little to do, and you're kind of just like waiting for something to happen. And then you're here where there's actually something going to happen in a week regarding the team I cover, and then free agency shortly after that. And then, yeah, the season is here. I, I don't know how wise that is. I'm curious to see how that uh, how that goes out, how that – I hope it works out. Uh, we'll see. But, yeah, it's all kind of snuck up pretty fast. Yeah, and it's curious to see how the, the rookies deal with it, too. That's another thing that we've been trying to get into here on, on our draft previews lately. But I do want to start with kind of uh, giving our listeners a rundown of the state of the Detroit Pistons, kind of before we get into what they might do at pick number seven, kind of what's it looking like for them heading into this 2020-21 season? Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I think there's a, a fraction of fans who probably think that they should – prioritize the young guys build for the future um and then you hear new gm troy we were talking about they want to be competitive and they have blake griffin on the roster they have derrick rose on the roster two veteran guys that i'm sure want to try to win at high levels as their career winds down whether or not that's um possible here it does not seem to be the case but stranger things have happened uh so i i'm very curious to see and and, and we'll learn a little bit more about Detroit's direction and free agency when Troy Weaver has a chance to bring in the guys to kind of round out the roster. We know who's on the roster. It is a lot of young guys um, paired with Blake and D Rose, but there's not very many veterans. So if Troy and company go and get some guy more win now guys, then you might have an idea of what this next season might look like. Maybe they're trying to squeeze in for the eighth seed again, like they've been doing for the last 10 years and either make it or not make it. Um, but I can't see a path to uh, Eastern Conference title contention at all this year. I would I would bet, if you're a betting man or woman, I'd bet good money on the Pistons uh, not making the playoffs rather than making the playoffs. Before I get to Jim here, um, let's talk about pick number seven because you talk about a lot of the young pieces also sprinkled in are the couple of veterans like Derek Rose and Blake Griffin. So how do you think the Pistons approach pick number seven? We've seen a lot of teams – in front of the Pistons that talk about maybe there's a chance that they trade away their pick earlier up to see if someone wants to jump in and get it. Others see that they're going to pick maybe best available just because they have a lot of young people on the roster and there's not really a position that, you know, all the positions are in need. How does that fall with the Pistons? What do you think they might do uh, on draft night with pick number seven? Yeah, um, it's changed month by month, week by week, day by day for me from stuff I've heard. I mean, when you look at the roster, you see clearly a, a, a big void for point guard, especially for the future. Um, and people say a lot of negative things about this draft. But I think one thing most would agree on is that this draft is at least deep at point guards. There might not be one that you think is going to be a multiple-time all-star or anything like that. But there appears to be about a handful of ones that could be, at worst, six men in the league. Um, and I think Detroit's right in that prime spot where they could possibly have their, their picking of any point guard that's in this draft, especially with it the way it seems like LaMelo is falling, whether or not that's smoke, it could be. Um, 
but the, even if he's off the board, there's still a good amount to choose from. Now, with that said, you look at Troy Weaver and Oklahoma City's history, they like those long athletic wings. And uh, the Pistons went with a wing last year in Sekou Dumbuya. Um, he's still only 19, even after last season, was the youngest player in the league. But I, I wouldn't be surprised, and based on things I've heard, as somebody like Patrick Williams from Florida State, um, I mean, he looks like he should be in the NBA, NBA already physically. Um, he's a, just a, a specimen. Um, I think that's somebody that they're really, really eyeing. Um, you look at Isaac Okoro from Auburn, another kind of wing that's athletic, can defend multiple positions, um, pretty good ball handler. Um, and then, yeah, you, you look at somebody like Okongwu from USC. The thing is free agencies after the draft, as it usually is, obviously, but a lot of front office people would like it to be before. And for the Pistons, that's particularly interesting this year because Christian Wood's a, a unrestricted free agent. So um, I, I would imagine from what I've heard that they're going to go after him. But if they can't get him and they'd like a Kongwu, do they miss out on a Kongwu because they think they can get Christian Wood and don't end up with him? So there's a lot of different ways they could go when you don't win a lot of basketball games. You need help at every position. Um, but I do think that they identified someone – and I think it might be Patrick Williams. We'll see who they feel is just going to be the best player in a couple of years. James, to go back to last season, um, they made the Pistons made the playoffs in 2019. Uh, they were eight seed. Um, I think people were kind of on the fence going into last season as far as whether they were going to make the playoffs or not. But um, how much of a factor was the injuries? Do you think that was was that really the biggest thing that made it? completely not possible or very unfeasible for them to, to get in the way they had the previous season? Yeah, I mean, I would say that's probably 80% of it. I, I look at that roster and I'm not going to sit here and say that that's a surefire playoff team when healthy. Like I'm just, I'm a, I'm a realist. And I think even though the East was a little down last year, don't, you can't pencil the Pistons in, especially because of the roster. And there's a lot of guys that have injury histories. I mean, you look at Blake Griffin's injuries came from trying from getting the Pistons into the playoffs in 2018. That his missed time last season was due to what happened in him that monstrous year he had the year before dragging the Pistons into the playoffs. Um, so you look at that roster and it doesn't have a healthy Blake Griffin or even a 60% Blake Griffin. There's no way it makes that team's definitely not making the playoffs. Luke Kennard's probably now he definitely is. But even last year when you started, I would probably put him above Reggie Jackson at that point, especially with the way he was playing early on. Um, I mean, you look at him and he's probably the best pick and roll guard that the team has outside of Derrick Rose, um, especially when you factor in shooting the ball um, and even distributing. I think Luke is, has a little bit more knack for passing than Derrick Rose. Derrick Rose is more kind of straight line scorer. But, I mean, Luke was out after Christmas and never came back. Um, and that's probably your second or third best player on your team. Christian Wood didn't really flourish until after Andre Drummond left, which was in February. Um, who else was injured? I, I mean, though, I, there's so there was a lot of injuries, but the Luke Kennard and Blake Griffin, those two plus Reggie Jackson being just a shell of himself, like you need everything with that roster to click for that team to make the playoffs. I mean, it sure. took a heroic effort and one of Blake Griffin's best, if not best seasons of his career for that team to get the eighth seed on the last day of the regular season. So uh, I think that says everything you need to know about this current makeup. Sure. 
Um, obviously, you know, various season, recent seasons, they, they've missed the playoffs and they've drafted pretty high um, consistently over the last few years. But um, what, what is, what's the optimism about some of their younger guys? You mentioned Kennard and um, Bruce Brown is another player that I've been pretty impressed with at times. I mean, I guess kind of a two-part question. One, how, how optimistic, enthusiastic do you think people are about some of their young players that they've been trying to build with? And two, do you feel like they just need kind of in this draft, they, they kind of need a difference maker, like somebody who can kind of excite people and ignite the fan base maybe that it seems like, you know, you mentioned various positions, but it seems like a guard maybe or, or just somebody that can bring some more excitement, I guess, to the, the potential that they have in the future. Yeah, uh, two good questions. I guess to answer your first one, I think they they you talk to a lot of people. They like Luke. Um, I think the big question with Luke is he's a his rookie deal ends after this season. Bilateral t- knee tendonitis at twenty three is a little bit concerning. Um, so you wonder about his future in Detroit. I think they like Seiku Dumbuya. He obviously had an up and down first year, but like I said before, he was the youngest player in the NBA, but he had some flashes. Um, It's just too early to call. We're probably three or four years away from knowing what even he could be. Mm -hmm. Um, Bruce Brown is a guy that second round pick started 50 games. Dwayne Casey loves what he brings in terms of, I mean, he's the team's best perimeter defender. He improved as a three point shooter last year. He improved as a, a, as a playmaker. I don't think he's ever going to be, um, the face of a franchise, but he has sp- specifically to Detroit. He has that Detroit makeup and kind of, he's a culture player, good guy, plays his ass off, mm-hmm. um, defends and, and is all about the team first. So they're very high on him. And then you get to speak by Luke. Who's all, I mean, last year was one of the best three point shooters in the NBA. There's some stuff there that suggests that he could be a decent pick and roll player. Um, he can't put the ball on the deck. He just needs to improve his passing, his finishing at the rim. But, I mean, to have a guy that's shooting 40% from three, like, you can pencil him in for at least the next few years, you would think. And then for this year specifically, I mean, you would think – I don't know. Like, I, I'm not in the in the boat of getting somebody that's going to excite the fans – necessarily because if the pick that's not going to excite the fans ends up being the best player then you did your job so there's people here that want Lamelo ball in detroit um the factor in the fact that he's been working out in detroit throughout the the lockdown his trainers from detroit um i i i'm not in the camp that thinks he's going to be one of the best players in this draft that's just me personally um and i get the appeal of point guard because you look at the roster and that needs a point guard for the future, but there are many more drafts to come. Um, and there's free agents. There's many more free agencies to come. You don't have to get your point guard of the future in this draft. And I think fans don't really understand that. And you never know, they could trade back and, and get many first round picks. You look at Boston, they might want to jump in the top 10. I think that would be a good trade for Detroit seven for 14, 26 and 31. Like I think where Detroit is, that would, that would be a good deal. Um, but yeah, I'm all in the camp of getting who you think is going to be the best player. Whether or not you think the best player is going to be a point guard, that's a different conversation. One that has that holds weight because you could make the case that the best player available in the Pistons pick is a point guard. But if the front office sees it as somebody else, then I think at the end of the day, it might take some time. But the fans want the best player at the end of the day. In the moment, they might want this this the sexy pick or the position. Mm-hmm. 
But if those guys don't pay out or pan out, then what was the point? Sure. I, I mean, I think you, you kind of allude to this too, that the thing that is going to excite the fan base the most is the player that's going to help you win because winning is going to be the thing that at the end of the day is what people get excited about and what you end up getting people to buy tickets for and buy season tickets and that kind of thing. Um, last thing before I go back to Daniel, wanted to ask you, I know that you covered the Pistons with Stan Van Gundy as the head coach. We talked to Ryan Anderson, who obviously played for him in Orlando um, last week, and he talked about how when it's time for basketball, whether that's a game or a practice, that Stan is pretty locked in and, and pretty focused on basketball. What, what was it like, um, I guess, interacting with him as a media member? Was that kind of the sense that you got from him was that he's, you know, he's a pretty um, intense guy and that's kind of what we can expect from him as far as, you know, the day-to-day -day interactions with them. Yeah. Um, so his last year in Detroit was my first year. So obviously um, I, I would imagine he's probably a little on edge throughout most of the year. And as the season went on, um, just because of the expectations, I'm sure that were placed on him to start the year or whatever, but I'll always start here. Stan, the person was, I mean, I couldn't ask, I've been blessed to cover Stan Van Gundy and Dwayne Casey as my two coaches since I've started in the NBA. Um, Dwayne, to joy, anybody you talk to enjoys Dwayne. Like he's just the nicest guy, funny guy. Stan is in that same kind of mold. He's a funny dude. He's real. Um, there's really, there's very little coach speak with him, which you appreciate as a reporter and somebody that has to be around him and the team every day. Like you, you don't know what he's going to say, but you know, it's going to be insightful and well thought out. You might not always agree with it. In most cases you do, at least for me, I did. Um, but it's going to be an interesting conversation topic. And I, w I would say he's intense, um, but I don't think it's toward, like, I don't think as members of the media, you'll really, um, see that too much i think he obviously uh, knows what he he has points wants to get him across uh, but I, I do think he he sprinkles in humor and he's kind of your everyday common man that's kind of how i would say it. he's just the guy you go up to the bar by yourself and there's another guy sitting there and you'll sit there and talk to him for a couple hours like that that's how i i i view stand the person just down to earth the coach I think it's going to be interesting for me. The big thing is learning what I want to see what he learned from the time off. I think one thing that might've hurt him in Detroit, I don't, I don't think there were players that disliked him. I don't think that was the case at all. Um, I just think he was very old school in his approach. Like I call on numerous occasions, there was maybe like in the middle of the year, there was two or three hour practices and maybe even two hour, three hour shoot arounds. And I think that kind of, weight on players. Now, none of them would say that they weren't prepared, um, like you alluded to. Um, he's as well-prepared. You talk to anybody as well-prepared as a, of a coach as there's been in quite some time. Um, but I do think his preparation comes at a cost of – I don't – player management – I don't know a better term, but when I say player management, I mean just how learning – and I don't want to say learn because he knows way more than I do, but adjusting to how to uh, manage players in today's NBA. Like, I – I just don't think the two-hour and three-hour shoot-arounds work anymore uh, or the two-hour and three-hour practices in February. Like, I just um, – I don't think they work to the extent that they did maybe when he was in Orlando. Um, they maybe even started to fizzle away then. Um, managing the young guys, keeping them prepared, 
without too much is going to be a fine line. Like you should demand the most out of both. Like I said, there's certain, there's different methods and, and ways to go about it. Um, and I'm very curious to see his approach in, in that regard um, this time around. But I do think the Pelicans, I mean, I said it before when his name popped up that I think that's who the Pelicans should hire. Some of those guys, Alvin Gentry was great. I had a chance to interview him a couple times for stories. Um, but I do think some of those players need accountability, especially defensively. And Stan's going to give them that. I think it's a good blend of what it takes to win at the at, at the NBA level with his experience and um, being able to relate to a group of NBA players, um, both personality-wise, uh, outside world stuff. Like I, I think he's a good blend of what you would want from a coach in today's NBA if he's kind of toned down um, the day-to-day work rate um, for some of his teams and players. It should be interesting. That's that's some great insight there on Stan Van Gundy and the Detroit Pistons at pick number seven. James Edwards, the third, who covers the Detroit Pistons for the Athletic. James, how can folks follow you on Twitter? Yeah, I'm at Twitter, JL Edwards, III, uh, for the third. Uh, yeah, if you're into the Pistons, um, if you want to read up on some old Stan stuff and you're a Pelicans fan, it's there. Just go to the Athletic app and, and type in Stan Van Gundy, Pistons. I'm sure that something will pop up. Um, and then, yeah, if you're into mock drafts, we just posted one today. It's just the top 10. Um, Sam Vecini and John Hollinger will have, obviously, more in-depth ones coming as we get closer to the draft and already have some out. But we just – the beat writers get together for a top 10. So that wouldn't pertain to the Pelicans, but um, if you're close, if you're fans of another team, you have a team you cheat on the Pelicans with when they're not doing well, <laughs> that that team might be in the top 10. Probably not. Cause if you're going to cheat on the Pelicans, it would probably be up with the, uh, a team that that's uh, a little, maybe more established right now. So yeah, there's, you can go on Twitter and go to the athletic and you can find me there. Yeah, absolutely. Good stuff. And the, the top 10 could also impact what the Pelicans might do. At pick number 13. Right. James, I really appreciate it. Thanks for the time. I appreciate you guys having me on. Thank you. All right. So that was James Edwards III covering the Detroit Pistons for the Athletic. And uh, I'm glad he brought up kind of the mock drafts there at the end, Jim, because, you know, I know it only covers the top 10 from what he was saying. But as I mentioned, you know, who gets picked at number 7, 8, 9, 10 could affect what the Pelicans do at number 13. Also, with the Pelicans' assets of three second-round picks, Maybe it's the Pelicans that move up into that top 10 and try to get someone. So it's going to be real interesting as we get later on into, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten, and then the beginning of the, you know, 10, 11, 12 for the Pelicans, how many players are floating in that top 10 and how many are floating around where the Pelicans might pick? Yeah. I mean, there's always some detective work involved in trying to figure out what's going to happen with the draft. And I'm sure that the Pelicans front office, just like every front office in the league is trying to do their best to figure out and project the possibilities of which players are going to go when, I mean, for every team in in the Pelicans range, they have the possibility realistically of if they may be trying to move up, if you're picking 25th, say in the first round, you're probably not looking at like, okay, how do we get into the top five? Because it might not be feasible. But um, so I, I do think it's really interesting to see all of the different opinions. Obviously you're not going to know for sure of what, what everyone is going to pick in the first 12 teams that are selecting ahead of new Orleans, but it is really interesting to try to figure out, um, you know, who might be available. You always hear, I see tons of people on Twitter saying like, Hey, they should draft this guy. They should draft that guy. But um, there's varying degrees of realistic 
possibilities of, of some of those guys. You know, there's there's players that people say Pelicans should take this guy at 13, but if you look at all the mock drafts, he's always gone by eight or nine, so it makes it seem a lot um, unrealistic to think that, that that player will be available. But 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 either way, I mean, it's 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 one of the most interesting parts of the draft and as as much as people might say they know how things are going to unfold you never really do so that'll be that'll be something to watch over the next uh nine or ten days here yeah mock drafts don't account for team trades and so it only takes one trade and someone moving up in front of your team to completely yep. uh, change the the mock draft and completely change how teams approach it so whether that's in the top five whether that's right in front of the pelicans it could be something that two teams have their eye on the same person just for a positional need. And, and that could throw off everyone. in The dominoes can trickle there from trickle from there. So it's going to be real interesting as we get closer, but I think that's why we're going one through 12 just to kind of see where teams heads might be at going into this draft on November 18th. And, and the other part of it too, I think it's possible that you could have look at every mock draft and 95% of them could be exactly right on who they're projecting is going to get picked. But if one team likes a guy, a player who no one else has in the top 20, say, and they pick him at nine or 10, that's going to, that'll throw off everything. And that'll, that'll, you know, shuffle the board. So you, you just never know because one or two teams can make a, a massive difference. And, and like you said, trades also can shuffle things up a ton. All right. Well, we're going to keep going with our NBA draft preview. We'll continue tomorrow with pick number eight in the New York Knicks, a new head coach, new front office. Let's see if it's the same old Knicks from the last few years or so. We'll find that out with Ian Begley, um, who covers the team up there in New York. He does a lot of great stuff, so we're looking forward to having him. And then probably later on in the week, we'll dive into the Phoenix Suns and the Washington Wizards pick 9 and 10. And then by the time we get to next week on Wednesday, we'll kind of wrap things up with 11-12 and, of course, a preview of the Pelicans at pick number 13. And we'll sprinkle in a few other interviews in there, working getting on some former players that played with Stan Van Gundy. And also, of course, once the NBA announces the restart date, which there's a lot of reports that it's going to be in, in December, like we all talk about, we'll have another podcast for you, too. So plenty of content available on Pelicans.com, the mobile app, and make sure to uh, follow Jim on Twitter, at Jim underscore Eichenhopper. A lot of great draft previews um, on his Twitter page and on Pelicans.com, and uh, you'll he'll continue to do some of the good work that he does leading up to the draft. So, Jim, I appreciate this one, and we'll talk to you tomorrow for Ian Beckley. Sounds good. Looking forward to uh, talking to some New York Knicks. Yeah, absolutely. And then just like all of you, Seeky, can't wait to get back in the stands with you to cheer on the Pelicans and sing along to our favorite songs again. They're using this time to make discovering, buying, and selling tickets to events in the Big Easy well easier. Plus, every ticket purchased on SeatGeek is protected by their buyer guarantee, which means you'll get your money back or better if your event is canceled, guaranteed. Download the SeatGeek app today, and when the time is right, Let's go. It's time for us to go here on the Pelicans podcast for the Nice Geek. Until tomorrow, uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening.